Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have Dr. David Shesky. Dr. Shesky is a Cal Psychiatry psychiatrist who practices in the Pasadena and Echo Park offices and also offers telehealth services. He studied both psychology and film as an undergraduate at the University of Southern California before going on to earn his MD from the University of New Mexico School of Medicine, his home state. He completed his psychiatric training at the UCLA All of You Residency Program and went on to finish subspecialty training by way of a fellowship in consult liaison psychiatry or psychosomatic medicine, in which he is also board certified. He offers medication management with a focus in the areas of general anxiety, phobias, panic disorder, and OCD. As an artist and writer, he has a unique and special interest in the mental health of creatives and the way in which the creative process can help patients heal past traumas, cope with current stressors, and actualize life goals. Today, we talk about his experience as a creative and how it informs his therapeutic work with clients. Welcome, Dr. Shesky. Thank you. So today, I'd like to explore something that is of great interest to you and a topic that I think you hold dear to kind of in terms of your own experience and in terms of something that you really do enjoy working with your patients and clients with. And that is clients who are creative and kind of the process that goes along with that and the type of treatment and how you approach treatment with those types of individuals. Right. And I'm happy to talk about this. I think it's something that isn't addressed very much, at least in terms of psychiatrists. There are definitely art therapists out there. And it's something that comes up in very severe cases in psychiatric hospitalization. Part of treatment there is engaging in something akin to art therapy. But it's not something that I think is as commonly addressed in the psychiatric community. And so I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk about it and to work with my patients. So just general question, how do you approach, say, treatment with somebody, whether it's therapy or with medication, with somebody who is a creative? So the first thing you want to do is just find out their history with creativity. When when did this come about in their life? Is this something that's very new? Is this something that they came upon themselves in order to help cope with something? Or is this something that's pretty ingrained in them from childhood? Is this something they've always, always done? Another aspect of this, this was a concept I was I was taking singing lessons actually for a little while. And my singing coach brought up the term vocal trauma, which in the medical world, we would think, oh, you damaged your vocal cords or something. But he, the way he described it was that singing particularly is one of those vulnerable things somebody can do, right? You're performing in front of a lot of people in a way that's very, very particular, right? You have to hit the right notes, you have to hit the right words, all of these types of things. And he said people, especially at a younger age, if they try to do this in a certain setting and they fail or they feel like they fail, it can be really, really scary and traumatic. So they avoid things like karaoke even with their friends. And singing isn't necessarily something everybody has to do in terms of their life functioning in the world. But that general concept of artistic expression playing into your life in either a positive or a negative way is something that's, I think, very ingrained in 
a lot of people's lives. So finding out this sort of what we would call the longitudinal course of their relationship with creativity and how it's played into their their life and their traumas and the positive aspects of them is the place to start. You are eventually want to get into medium, right? Is this painting? Is this singing? Is this acting? Is this writing? Because all of those are going to have a particular type of way of expressing yourself to the world and also their own process, right? Writing is usually a little bit more specific and a little bit more planned. Painting might be a little bit less so. Acting is going to have a whole other process on its own that's very kind of in the moment um, that you're kind of adjusting as you go. So you want to find out all of those aspects about somebody's creative process and their history with creativity. And then at some point, you probably want to link in any psychiatric symptoms or any struggles that they're having with that creative process in terms of did they like I kind of already said, but did they get involved in that creativity as a way to deal with things? Was that creativity a source of trauma for them? All of those sort of things. And do you typically see that, and I know everyone is so different, but creativity as therapeutic and that's why people are drawn to it? Well, it can be, but you can also have, especially in a city like Los Angeles, when creativity is part of your job, Um, it's part of your career, it can be therapeutic, but it can also be not even necessarily traumatic, but extremely stressful, right? It might be your primary source of stress. You're kind of in a paradox where it's something that you love to do and you want to do, and it's a career trajectory for you. But it, at the same time, is the greatest source of stress in your life because it's how you're paying your bills, it's as straightforward as that, right? This is how you support yourself and where you want to go in life. For a lot of people, especially in Los Angeles, creativity is not a hobby. It's not something you do on the side. It is maybe the central focus of your life, both emotionally, career, life validation-wise, and something as straightforward as paying your bills. So that's why I think addressing it in a city like Los Angeles, especially, but everywhere, is extremely, extremely important. Right. And it also makes me think of there are different levels of success that people have had with their creative process in forming a career, right? And I also think in a place like Los Angeles, where there are plenty of people who have gone down that path and found success, financial success, but there are other people who are still trying to make it. And I think there's a lot of stresses and anxiety over, okay, why aren't I being recognized for my creative value? And I think that's kind of, they're different things to some degree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the creative industry in general, it's back in film school at USC, one of the things that they would say in general to everybody involved, but I think especially people who are going down writing tracks was something along the lines of only 1% of you are ever actually going to probably have a significant large writing career. And that's probably a little bit discouraging. And I don't know that I would approach that with my patients in that way. But a reality is it's an extremely competitive industry, an extremely hard industry to regularly support yourself with. And again, another paradox with this is It's also an industry where you can be an excellent, excellent writer. You can be doing all of the correct things. You can be winning festivals and contests. You can have friends of yours who are successful people in the creative industry and they love your writing. 
And that doesn't necessarily mean you will actually be able to get a flourishing career. And teasing apart internal aspects of your self-worth and your abilities from your tangible success in a creative industry is something that is very, very difficult to do. And that's something I absolutely like to work my patients about. I mean, it's also something I have to work with. In more concrete fields, I guess I would call them like medicine, for example, obviously you need to be talented. You need to be able to study very hard. You need to be able to perform. You need to be a professional. But medicine is a career that has a relatively secure linear path once you've gone into medical school. Getting into medical school is very difficult, but once you're in the entire industry of medicine, once you to succeed, your medical school wants you to graduate. They want to do everything they can to help you graduate. Once you get into a residency training program, the program wants you to graduate. Other physicians want you to succeed. That is not necessarily the case in the creative world. You can have mentors who are also maybe struggling to get something off the ground or struggling to sell something. Just like your supportive friends, there is a degree of competition that is ingrained into that culture. And and I mean, when you only have the ability for 1% of people or whatever it is to be really, really successful, there's no way to completely tease that out. And so working with your feelings towards your friends and your social group and your mentors, tackling maybe feelings of jealousy and envy when one of them gets a job and you don't, or vice versa. How do you tell your friends about this? How do you feel good about this if you know that there's always going to be this little tinge of jealousy or envy between you and the person you might be wanting to get support and reinforcement from? Yeah. So this brings up a few questions and I realize I think it might be helpful to rewind and kind of get a sense of your background. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious about, because you're an artist, a writer, and a psychiatrist, how that all fits in together. Where are there overlaps? And the other question I want to focus on too is, you know, why might it be helpful if I was a patient and a creative to have someone be my mental health provider who also has that as their background? Right. Well, a lot of things in the creative process, I think, are not necessarily as intuitive to learning about or getting careers in other fields. Right. I think using medicine as a good example of this is is an accurate thing to do, because I think medicine in a lot of ways is almost the polar opposite of what the creative process is and success in the creative process. So just a little bit about sort of my background and my pathway to this. When I was in high school and beginning an undergrad, I was torn between deciding to be pre-med and pursuing film. That was kind of my branch in my my path. When I went through undergrad, I was studying both during my freshman year, my sophomore year. But at that point, after your sophomore year, you really need to kind of pick a lane. Um, You can't continue to do both. I chose medicine. I felt like I was good with it. Part of it was also when you have a lot of student loan debt, pursuing a career that's secure and I don't want to say guaranteed, but relatively linear and easy to understand is a lot safer bet than trying to pursue something in the film industry or the creative industry at all, where there isn't a, where there isn't a clear path. There isn't necessarily even a clear destination. So I was always very interested in writing. I chose the medical school path and I'm very happy with it. I'm happy being a psychiatrist, but there still also is this part of me that 
loves creative expression. So I've, I'm still a writer. I continue to do a lot of writing. I started writing very, very much during residency. And then another aspect that came into this was painting. During the pandemic, this is also a time when I think a lot of people might have taken up things like this, whether it be because they had a lot of time on their hands or they felt like they needed to do something to express themselves when they're, they're kind of claustrophobically trapped in. So I began painting. Uh, I'd never done it before. I got extremely, extreme, very, very frustrated when I started because I didn't really know what I was doing. But after watching some YouTube videos, after taking an online course, I got a lot more comfortable with it. What I've found with the way that's helped me is this is very, very true with painting. And to a degree, it's also to do with writing. These are mediums where your endpoint isn't necessarily going to be the one that you started with. It isn't necessarily going to be the way you pictured this painting. This painting isn't going to turn out the way that you thought it might or the way you planned it might. But it might turn out in a way that you like 10 times better. Um, It might turn out in a way that you like 10 times less and that you feel like is a complete failure. But that process, I think, allows you to detach yourself a little bit from specific concrete goals, specific concrete feelings that you want to express or narratives that you want to express. Um, And when we're dealing with history of trauma, when we're dealing with our emotional troubles, when we're dealing with our career goals, it's helpful and also I think sometimes necessary to let go a little bit from exactly the endpoint or the goal that you've been picturing and see the way that your life or the circumstances in your life have taken you in another direction and to accept that maybe see the good in it and not even in a way that's settling for this other thing. You might actually find that this is actually a better fit for you than what you were originally picturing. Thinking about kind of this cognitive flexibility. That's a perfect word for it. Absolutely. And in terms of how that's helped me, a career in medicine is, well, I just wrote a thesis paper on why it's the opposite of creativity and it's very linear and it's very specific. A career in medicine is actually a little bit more flexible than I think a lot of people who are in medicine realize. And by that, I mean medical school seems like you've got the specific goal. A lot of people start medical school or even start pre-med already picturing what specialty they want to go into and what kind of job they might want to have. And one of the things that I've, that I worked on a lot when I, when I taught medical students was a bit of this cognitive flexibility about, you know, we're in your second year of medical school. It seems like surgery isn't necessarily a good fit for you. And that might not be because you're not good at it. You might be good at it, but you might not be interested in it. You might not like being in the OR. You might not, you might not like reading about surgery. And if that's the case, maybe it's, it's acceptable to look at other fields, expand your horizons a little bit. In medical school, especially, that's a place where you have to address it, as you said, sort of cognitive flexibility and not this mode of settling for something. Because I think people in professional fields, especially medicine, 
can get so goal-directed that they look as anything other than meeting that goal as a failure. But you let them know people change their specialties. Another thing I let them know is, I don't know the exact statistic off of my head, but it is not an insignificant amount of people who change their specialties as late as residency, right? They might start out in a psychiatry residency and decide they really don't like it. It really isn't a fit for them. And they might switch into another field like pediatrics or medicine or something like that. And so I think my career trajectory in medicine was also helped by that a little bit in terms of not necessarily deciding that my endpoint job had to be what I was picturing when I first, when I was taking my first biology class as an 18 year old in undergrad. Yeah. Right. So the kind of the same idea that there needs to be with creatives, they might change their medium, right. Or they might change kind of this idea. And, and I think that happens maybe more so with creatives because you don't know the endpoint, right? Yep. And yep. It's, it's a kind of a difficult thing to understand what that endpoint actually is. Right. The other thing I'm wondering about, and I often see this in my practice, and I'm sure you see it in yours, is this idea of imposter syndrome. Right. So imposter syndrome, I mean, I think as, as soon as I explain this, people in almost any field are actually probably going to be relate to this. Physicians relate to this very, very well. And I think creatives do too. The easiest way we explain imposter syndrome in medicine is that, you know, you get into medical school, you get into your residency, but you have this weird thought, maybe irrational feeling that your application was the one that accidentally fell onto the accept pile. Everybody else deserves to be there, but you might not be as good as them. You might not have any concrete reason for this, but it still is a feeling that people get, especially in highly competitive fields, they get this. So medicine, but also anything in the creative industry, right? Your script, your painting, these kinds of things. You might very quickly go to a cognitive space where you think your piece just isn't as good, where you don't deserve to be here. Um, maybe you should just look at somebody else. And that obviously can move very, very quickly into a lot of different, very concrete psychiatric symptoms, right? It can make you feel depressed. It can make you feel hopeless, right? It can make you feel extremely, extremely anxious when you're actually trying to create your piece or present it. If you're already going into those situations, with this fear that you're you're just not good enough, that you're not the one that's supposed to be there, right? That can make you overanalyze and obsess over what you're writing and over what, over what you're making, over something as simple as how you're phrasing your email when you're pitching your piece to a producer. And so I think the concept of imposter syndrome can very, very directly be related to very specific psychiatric symptoms that people come to doctors to have treatment for. Mm -hmm. Right. And how do you approach treatment? What is the goal? So when you approach treatment with any patient in psychiatry, usually you, in most situations are going to talk about a combination of therapy and, and probably medications too. Both of those things kind of an interrelated way. The therapy component of it is where you're going to deal with probably the cognitive flexibility, maybe the cognitive restructuring, that kind of thing. But you know, it's a little bit of a interrelated circle here where the anxiety can be contributing to these cognitive problems and the cognitive problems can be contributing to the anxiety. 
So while a psychiatric medication all on its own is probably not going to fix your trauma history and isn't going to fix things like imposter syndrome, if we are able to improve those symptoms that can allow you to participate in therapy in a, a much more active way, a much more effective way. Yeah. And I think of it as like clearing the dust, right? So there's mm-hmm. there's a lot there, right? And when you're anxious about something or you feel like you don't belong or people are going to find you out, that anxiety then leads you to maybe not think as clearly as you usually would. And if you kind of clear yes. that away, then it's like you're true who you are in terms right. of your capability and what you can do without all that anxiety getting in the way. Absolutely. And I think that's a perfect way to say it. And even with non with patients who are non-creatives, I think a very important concept is to understand that there's this perception that maybe psychiatric medications are a band-aid and the real treatment is something you have to do in therapy. And as a psychiatrist, I certainly don't believe that. I think both of these things are very, very carefully intertwined to the point where trying to parse them about is it's not that it's difficult. It's that it's actually not possible because one of them is causing the other and the other one is causing the other. So clearing the dust, I think is a very good way to describe it. The other thing I wanted to ask is why it might be important for a creative to think about a provider who has been through a similar process or, I mean, what would the benefit of that be? Well, To providers who haven't necessarily pursued creativity or pursued a creative process, they might not really intuitively understand the degree to which the creative process and your creative goals are interlaced into your psychiatric symptoms and your life. It's not something that's very intuitive, I think, to many providers. It's not something that's very intuitive to most people in general in the world. I would say, particularly in other parts of the country, Um, I think, like I said earlier, the idea that something creative is a hobby, right? It's something that you do in your garage while you go to work and have a real job. And this isn't just a general perception. I'm sure a lot of people feel this direct pressure and maybe articulate it exactly as I just said it from their family and from their parents. Um, It's quite possible that they've always had creative goals, but there was intense pressure on them to go to medical school and become a psychiatrist or a surgeon or a pediatrician or, or someone who's very successful in the business world. So it's important to have a provider who intuitively understands these things as more than hobbies because part of the therapeutic process is feeling validated is feeling that your your life and your goals and your history of life choices are not necessarily wrong, are not necessarily the wrong path. And one of the things that also happens in psychiatric and therapeutic treatment is helping patients clarify maybe where they want to go with their lives, clarify the things that they want to pursue. And if someone just really, really has that creative bone in their body, having a therapist who might not have a little bit of a bias towards thinking that the patient should actually pursue a career in business or something along those lines will definitely be important in their treatment. Yeah. And as you were saying that, it kind of, I did, these words were going through my head, this idea of like, I get you, right? I I understand, 
right? Just having someone sit in the room with you who kind of understands that struggle and what it feels like could in itself just be incredibly therapeutic. Absolutely. And, and who isn't necessarily sort of judging you for these feelings because they've probably experienced those feelings themselves. Another thing that's very important in the therapeutic process is what I call normalization. It's to say you are not the only one who's ever experienced imposter syndrome. You are not the only one who's ever experienced stage fright. You're not the only one who's stared at that blinking cursor while they're trying to write a screenplay and nothing comes for six hours or for six days. And having those feelings and those experiences normalized and understanding that you're not the only one who's ever experienced these things is also something that's therapeutic. Right. Yeah. This has been really helpful for me to understand because I do see quite a few creative people in my practice. And, and I, I think it's really important for me to understand also how to approach that and understand the struggles that they've been through. Yeah. Um, but I think the work you do is incredibly important, especially in a city like Los Angeles, where so yeah. many people are going through struggles related to their creative process and careers and their goals. And so I think this is a really important conversation to have. Well, I appreciate you having me on to talk about it. And, and one last comment to just bring it full circle. Even this conversation has probably helped me a little bit clarify the way I engage with my process and the way I engage with my art. Yeah. And I've heard you had some success recently with your painting. Um, I did get some paintings in a local gallery and we were talking a little bit prepping for this podcast and I felt this was actually a perfect time to do it because while I did have that success, I also had a two-day period over the last two days where I was aiming for a painting and I just could not get it right. I scraped the canvas easily six times because it just wasn't coming out as I thought it would. And so just in the span of less than a week, I experienced both these feelings of validation and success and, and yeah, I'm supposed to be here doing this. And also those feelings that got triggered of like, what am I doing here? I can't even get a painting right after two days. Why am I even here? Right. And so balancing those two feelings is something I hope to explore with my patients. All right. Well, thank you for your time and for being here. And I'll make sure the listener has a little bit of information about you with the episode description if they want to learn a little bit more about you and the services you offer. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and nine offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.